face, I can hear your voice, I can almost touch you. Hello and welcome to episode 213 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson. And we don't have Jacob here with us this week. I'm sure he's happy not to be here based on the series that the Blue Jays just had against the Oakland Athletics, losing two of three to the worst team in baseball. Does it make the Blue Jays the worst team in baseball now? We're going to talk about that, but Bryson, how are you? It has been a disaster of a week however it ended off on a good note but just everything that we were expecting from this series everything that we predicted for this series in terms of you know us two in particular saying a sweep it just completely went in the opposite direction starting pitching for majority of the series remained an issue even a rare I guess missed start from Alec Manoa and of course uh, today though again ending off on a good note uh, an encouraging start from Jose Barrios and then kind of a late game or I should say late game heroics from the Jays taking the lead, or I should say tying it up late, taking the lead late, and you're off to Seattle after avoiding the sweep. Yeah, solo home run from Matt Chapman, solo home run from Bo Bichette, saves the series for the Blue Jays and averts total disaster, still somewhat of a disaster for the Blue Jays to lose two of three to the team, like I said, that has a worse record in all of baseball. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on this series. There's a lot to talk about, Yusei Kikuchi, Having another terrible start, Charlie Montoyo kind of throwing him under the bus, and it seems like his time in the rotation might be over. The Blue Jays can make it work out that he doesn't make another start until after the All-Star break. Jose Barrios having a nice start. Alec Manoa have a dud, has a dud of a start, and then the offense, of course, is nowhere to be found until today's game. And even in today's game, even though you have the clutch hits, you only get two runs overall. So I have a lot of thoughts. I'm going to let you go first on kind of your overall takeaways from this series, where your head is at on the Blue Jays. Well, again, definitely disappointing. And I think the first thing that we, or the issue that I have, or not even an issue, just kind of something to notice, and I think either you or Jacob have brought this up earlier in the year, is that we talk about, you know, when you talk about the beginning of the year, the hitting woes in terms of good pitching, bad hitting, and then kind of, I guess, the course of the last couple of weeks, or like I should say maybe the last three weeks, ever since the hitting got going, it's been good hitting, bad pitching. And then today we saw more bad offense, uh, in particular in the third game, uh, and with good hitting. So it just feels like both things are always, I guess, coinciding. Never at the same time are both things going. And I think that's definitely frustrating. But you go to the first game on Monday right away with Alec Manoa starting, you feel pretty good about it. And you just it just isn't a good performance in terms of what you have or, or what you were facing with the Oakland Athletics. I mean, all these pitches that Oakland threw out this series really, for the most part, dominated this offense. Uh, you have guys like George Springer, who's been in a slump, over the last couple of weeks, I think they said today in his splits when he entered the game late that he's hitting below, I think, 200 pretty much uh, over the past couple of weeks. You know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. continues to be on and off. And then, again, you had Alec Manoa coming out uh, the first game of the series and just a rare mishap from him where he gave up five runs. You haven't, or four earned runs, I should say. You haven't seen that often from him at all in his career. You kind of saw a little bit of a hiccup when he st- uh, started against the Yankees a couple weeks ago. And then this, again, was probably another or this was another bad start from him so right away it's not a good it's not a good start to the series and this was a series again that we were all kind of expecting 
winnable games. You have an opportunity to sweep a team who's in last place in the ALS by about 10 games. You don't have that. Uh, it goes the opposite way. And then in game two, in terms of the Yusei Kikuchi experience, we are back on the decline of it. And this was really, uh, I guess, almost at the low point of what we've seen from Kikuchi. We've seen him battle, um, and we've seen him probably reach in those starts where he has battled for, which has been majority of the year. He's gotten to probably three or four innings, if you're lucky, and it's been a lot of hard contact. There's been a lot of walks, and in particular in this start, he goes just over two innings. He walks five in 2.1 innings. That's just something that is obviously ridiculous, and it shouldn't be happening at the MLB level. And then, of course, on top of that, he hits two guys, at the same time, so he was all over the map. This was another thing where you look at it, not a good idea or not an ideal situation to put the bullpen at work early on. Again, you had Trent Thornton come on, and honestly, as much as Blue Jays fans are up and down with Trent Thornton, some people I think could be a little bit too hard on him sometimes. And I guess sometimes he also deserves some criticism. He was thrown into a tough position, I thought, yesterday coming in when he did, and for the most part, he did all right in two and two point one innings. 2.1 innings again and then of course just for the entire time the bullpen's bit pretty much at work for the entire game and then you bring it over to the third game knowing what we had the past couple of games knowing that the or the starting pitching hasn't gone deep knowing that Casey Lawrence is officially up and that he is likely the starter in Seattle all of this also knowing that you need Jose Barrios to have a good outing because if Jose Barrios didn't have a good outing Casey Lawrence was likely going to be needed today in a long relief role and then tomorrow in the Thursday game, which was Kevin Gosman's original spot in the rotation in Seattle, if Casey Lawrence pitches today in the third game, who the heck is going to start in Seattle uh, in terms of a bullpen game? It would have been a disaster. But again, it was a very encouraging start from Jose Brios, who come out or came out today, and he looked really good in six innings. He looked, or he just his breaking ball and everything looked on point. It was sharp. He struck out six in that span, and of course, once again in a series where the offense has been quiet. It's quite all game long in a game where Jose Brios has a really good quality start. You're hoping for run support at some sort or at, at just at some sort of, you know, area of the game. And it finally happened in the seventh inning and the eighth inning, like you mentioned, who or were Chapman and Bichette homered, which was good. A lot of people are complaining that the Jays only scored two runs on the Oakland A's. But the other thing, too, is that this offense has been even better than I think we have maybe seen it over the past three weeks. And what I mean by that is as much as it has heated up, it just... You look at the numbers that they had pretty much since the month of June, where they've been first in pretty much every category in baseball. It just it feels like the offense hasn't been as good as what the numbers have been showing, which is pretty crazy. But at the end of the day, again, just a series where the pitching was pretty much dominating the Blue Jays hitting. And then now you come away with um, you win one game at the end and you, you avoid the sweep, essentially, to one of the worst teams in baseball. I'm fine with the way things ended today. Of course, you want to score more runs, but this is just a funk that the Jays have been in over the past five games. Basically, going back to last Saturday, I believe when Bo Bichette hit that home run in the eighth inning, it was the first lead they had in over 50 innings. I believe it was 51 innings. That is crazy to think that over the course of a week, they haven't had a lead since last Saturday. So, you know, they were pretty much in a rough part of the schedule, and slumps happen. And I think that there's a lot to take into pretty much what this team has gone through over the past or over the week on and off the field, of course. And then of, uh, on top of that, they're in a really rough stretch right now where they're playing lots of games back to back to back to back. So you got to take all that into account. And the fact that they didn't get swept is definitely something that it just felt like today was definitely in a way a must win just to know that you can leave Oakland without being swept to one of the worst teams in baseball. And again, the way it ended today, I'm completely fine with. 
Yeah. I mean, there's no such thing to me as a must-win game when you're still early July, but yeah, it was a must-win game, or as much of a must-win game as it could be at this point in the season, because yeah, as much as I'm going to get to it, I don't think this is doomsday, and I don't think it's the end of the world, as some Blue Jay fans are making it out to be. If you get swept by the Oakland Athletics, you're not in a great position. It's going to suck for a couple days just soaking that in. So for the Blue Jays to avoid the sweep today, get the win, narrow as it may be, short of offense as it may be, it was a big win. But yeah, the stat that you brought up, the Blue Jays trailing for almost, what was it, more than 50 consecutive innings, that just goes to show how rough the last five, six days have been, or I guess four days since it was the doubleheader. Um, it's been rough. It It has been rough for the Blue Jays. What I do want to say is that fans who say the sky is falling, the season's over, the Blue Jays suck, they're not making the playoffs, they're only going to come back next year when the team is good. I can't put into words how much of an overreaction that is. How irrational it is to be so short-sighted as thinking that one five-game losing streak instantly means the Blue Jays suck. I'm going to put it into context a little bit. Last year, the Atlanta Braves, they have a record under 500 until right near the trade deadline. They win 89 games in the regular season. They win the World Series. Yes, it's a different situation because they're not in the AL East. They were in the NL East, which is one of the weaker divisions in baseball. But the point stands. Regular season, the middle of the regular season, the beginning of July is not indicative of the team you are going to have at the end of the year. The second point, good teams lose to bad teams. That's baseball. That's why we play baseball. It's 162 games because you lose to bad teams even if you're the best team on the face of the planet. The New York Yankees just lost to the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Pittsburgh Pirates suck and the New York Yankees are on pace to have the greatest single season record in baseball history. And they just lost to the Pittsburgh Pirates. These things happen. Good teams lose to bad teams. Bad teams, every once in a while, beat good teams. This is baseball. It feels like this isn't something that you should have to explain to people. But this happens. And I think for fans to have such a short memory and declare this moment as the end of the Blue Jays season, when you go back to last year, the Blue Jays were three games above 500 at the trade deadline. And they ended up winning 91 games. Yes, they missed out on the playoffs by one game. Yes, this year is different because of the domination of the Yankees in the AL East. But the situations are comparable. You don't... A five-game losing streak in the middle of July does not ruin your season. I'll take it back a step further. 2020, the Blue Jays, I believe they went on a seven-game losing streak. And that was in September, I think. And yes, it was uh, a 60-game season. So a seven-game losing streak then is the equivalent of what? A 21-game losing streak in the regular season, if if you just look at the importance of it game-wise. And the Blue Jays made the playoffs in 2020. Yes, expanded structure, et cetera, et cetera. They made the playoffs. So all this to say, the kind of discourse that's going on among some fans on social media that this is the end of the Blue Jays' season, that this team sucks, that they are officially not making the playoffs because they lost five games in a row, that they are out of it, that fans aren't going to cheer for this team until next year when they come back, that Charlie Montoyo should be fired, 
that people should be benched, that people should be dropped, that Ross Adkins should be fired. To me, all these assertions are absolutely insane. And it's baffling to me how you can watch a team year in and year out and be so short-sighted, have such a short memory that you don't remember what happened 10 months ago when the Blue Jays were in the exact same situation and it wasn't the end of the world. So that's my rant for the day. I have lots more to say, but I'll get your thoughts on that, Bruce. Well, 100%. And then the other thing is that those people that complain are the ones that will probably still watch the next game, which I always find hilarious because they always say that and it never they never fall uh, through with it. But the other thing, too, is as much as they did or the rut they have been on, you were talking about it over the past week, they are still in a playoff spot by about four games. So it's not like, you know, when you think of it, Yes, uh, the ground they've gained is lost a bit over the past week. That is understandably so over the last six games or uh, over the last 10 games, you're four and six. But they are still like in this completely. And then if you want to look above them, they're tied with the Tampa Bay Rays, essentially. And they're only one game behind the Red Sox. It's going to be like this for the rest of the year. These three teams in particular are going to be crammed together. You got guys like the Cleveland Guardians as well, the Seattle Mariners, Chicago. They're all going to be hovering in as well. But it's just something that... Where all these teams are throughout the rest of the year, the Jays are going to be right there with them. And if they go on a heater, they're likely going to exceed these or these teams. So, you know, you look at it, we know we're officially past the 81 game mark. You know, a lot of people were talking about what you think of the first half so far in a whole. And I think the thing that is good and bad at the same time is you look at the first 81 games, you see that, yes, as much as everything that I would say maybe was hyped up coming into the season hasn't exactly gone as planned. And I talked about it at the top. You had good pitching when you have bad hitting, but then when you have bad hitting, um, you have good pitching. It's never at the same time right now. There's a lot of, I would say, mediocrity going on right now. But at the same time, you can you can say all this, you can criticize this, you can criticize this area, criticize that area. They're, the Jays still, I think, are a lot better than what you know, it people have been talking about in terms of reactions, 45 and 38. And they're only, and if they are, they're one uh, run away from going on an insane winning streak. We talked about it last year. We talked about it a couple years ago. Or you sh- I should say you did, but they're one run away from really gaining ground or putting themselves in a much better position than what they are right now. And right now they've been, again, you know, no matter what the expectations you had for them coming into the year is, or what, you know, other people's opinions are they are still in this playoff race they are still much involved we know that they're going to be and the, the other thing too is we know that reinforcements are eventually coming we know that we're a month away less than a month away from the trade online things are going to be addressed this team on paper is almost certainly going to be better at the end of july so i just i agree with you in terms of i don't understand the you know i people are allowed to be or be upset at certain things all they want. People are allowed to go, be worried about this, worried about that. But to write off the season after 81 games and just say this and that, look, it, it makes no sense to me either. But again, they're in this position right now, and this has been a year where it hasn't exactly all been consistent for everyone at the same time. It just, they, again, are one run away from really taking a toll on this and getting in a much better position. But right now, they're fine, I think, still. Again, right now, you're battling with the Red Sox, the Rays, in terms of positioning. But you are still in a playoff spot by multiple games. And you will, or you have a really good chance in the second half of the season to put it together and be even better. So that's why I do think that the overreaction is obviously, you know, it's it's an overreaction. It's pretty... Uh, 
crazy to see right now in terms of what some people are saying. The fact that Shapiro and Atkins are now coming back into the picture a little bit in terms of people complaining, that that's when you know it is at a all new low low point because it just it just feels like every whenever people are saying that now they absolutely have nothing else to say so they have to try and use a scapegoat but that scapegoat now has been kind of I don't know I just I would say it's just it hasn't been a good one for the last couple of years now so I I agree with you and of course we are allowed to think about the team right now we are allowed to recognize the the flaws that they do have because we know we know that there's weaknesses right now. We've spoken about it again all year in terms of hitting, pitching, but this is all going to going to be addressed eventually and that's why I do think at the end of the month it is almost certainly they're going to be better on paper and they're just going to be in a better position hopefully to get on a second half run because this team in previous years even if they haven't made the playoffs, they have always found a way to do that in the second half of the year. So that's why as much as you can be concerned with some things, it is crazy, absolutely crazy, especially in baseball to write it off after only 81 games. Yeah. And I'm not like ignoring all the bad stuff that's going on right now. Cause yeah, this team is in a bad place right now. The pitching is not there. The bullpen is absolutely utterly exhausted. The hitting is in a rut as much as we talk about them being one of the best in baseball since the start of June, which they have been, or I think May 24th is the exact date of the turnaround. They have been, you know, the past three, four or five games haven't been that same offense that we saw since the start of June or May 24th. This team isn't good right now. The pitching isn't good right now. The bullpen isn't good right now. But that doesn't mean you treat it as a certainty that you're writing off the entire season. Like, yeah, there's a chance that this is a turning point and the Blue Jays go downhill from here. And, you know, um, Kevin Gosman turns out his injury is more serious. And George Springer, we saw him sitting today. Maybe there's something more serious with him. And the team goes downhill from here and they make some trades at the deadline that don't work out. Like, that's always a possibility. It's a possibility the season is over. But it's a very small possibility. And fans, I think some... I say fans in general. Some fans are treating it as if it's a certainty. And it is very far from that. And there's still a lot of baseball left to be played. And yeah, you talk about the the kind of the class half full side of things for the rest of the season. Um, I will say the Blue Jays schedule for the second half is a lot easier than it is. You look at difficulty of schedule metrics in the first half, first 81 games. The Blue Jays had the most difficult schedule in all of baseball. For the second half of the season, they're projected to have the 10th easiest schedule in all of baseball, the 20th most tough schedule in all of baseball, if that makes sense. So things are kind of flipping. The schedule gets easier. Hopefully the offense keeps up what it's doing. Hopefully the pitching turns a corner. And then there's also the trade deadline. There's also the fixes that the Blue Jays are going to be making along the way. So you piece all those things together And yeah, you can look at this team after 81 games and say, oh, they're only on pace for 88 wins. What's going on here? They're going to miss the playoffs. This is a total disaster. But that ignores a whole lot of other factors that we've just talked about. And it's way too early to write them off. Um, That doesn't mean they aren't bad right now because they are. The pitching is not there. And let's start with Yusei Kikuchi because that's the guy that everyone's talking about. And it's the guy with the most questions right now. It seems like there's a real possibility that he doesn't make his next start. Um, Kevin Gosman isn't starting tomorrow. The Blue Jays are bringing up what appears to be Casey Lawrence. It seems like it's still in a bit of flux right now, but Lawrence is back on the roster. 
seems likely that he's going to be taking the bulk of the innings tomorrow, whether it is as a starter or opener, whatever the situation is. Um, that pushes some things back. Kevin Gosman might line up for the Sunday start in Seattle. Blue Jays have an off day on Monday. End of the day, it works out that the Blue Jays could avoid starting Yusei Kikuchi until after the All-Star break. And when you take that fact in tandem with what Charlie Montoyo said yesterday about Kikuchi, um, he said, quote, It's tough to play behind a guy who isn't throwing strikes. It's becoming a track record. He's struggling. He hasn't been able to make the adjustment during a game. And I believe he also said everything is on the table when it comes to Yusei Kikuchi. So you take all those things together, and it seems like the Blue Jays are gearing up to move him out of the rotation, whether that's him just taking a break for a little bit, whether that is him moving into the bullpen in sort of a bulk role, whether that's him moving into a one-inning role, who knows, but things are definitely in a fluid situation when it comes to Yusei Kikuchi, and I think there's a really good shot we don't see him making his next start. Yeah, and really the reason why he did make the start, obviously, is because he was coming off a good start against the Rays, and it was an encouraging start. And that, when you think about it, maybe also kind of helped his case because it was that five-game series, so he got an opportunity to go out. He had a really good start, and then kind of like what we saw from Jose Barrios. Now, for his next start, you're hoping he can build off of this and he can go on, you know, just be the Jose Barrios that we knew from last year. And then from Kikuchi, you're coming into the game on the Tuesday night game, which was game two, and you had the performance that you had that game. It's just, you're running out of things to say. You're running out of opportunities. We talked about it. You know, we know that likely pitching will be, especially for the bullpen, it's coming. I've been telling you guys, and I'm, think you agree with me now, Mark? I know Jacob doesn't, uh, maybe this, his opinions change now, is that I, you know, a starting pitcher is probably more essential now than it, it ever has been, especially with Yusei Kikuchi's future in the rotation in question. I wouldn't say it's in doubt yet, but it's definitely in question. You were talking about it. All options are on the table. He pulls up the performance then. It was a disaster. We, we, we spoke about his pitching line, five walks, two hit batters, and 2.1 innings. For a team that does need to you know, pick it up obviously in the second half of the season and win games is pretty much to be as broad as you can. You can't be throwing him out there every five days if he's going to be doing that and if you're going to be kind of throwing, flipping a coin and seeing what Kikuchi you're going to get. But the problem is we've seen more of the Kikuchi who has been wild like we saw yesterday. And then at the same time, you've seen it a few times where he's actually been promised or he's looked promising. He's been encouraging. We knew he had a really good month of May, but the Jays have given him many opportunities, opportunity after opportunity to fix his problems to, you know, whatever it is that the Jays want him to do more, throw the fastball more, anything that the Jays have lined up for him. They have given him many opportunities to go out there and fix it and just to be the pitcher that they believe he can be. And unfortunately, as a whole, this season, it hasn't happened. And we're halfway through the year. We know that likely it could be it for him after what Charlie Montoyo said today. And it's pretty crazy when you think of when I, I just, I just, from my thinking is that, I know in terms of the rotation, Barrios and Kikuchi have been the shaky ones, you know, I would say for the most of the year, but it's pretty crazy. And maybe if you notice this too, Mark or not, is that whenever Kikuchi has a bad start, there is no holding back from Charlie Montoyo showing his frustration. And then Jose Barrios, there's a little bit more of a, I wouldn't say excuses, but more optimism and more encouragement from him, even if he has a bad start. So Charlie Montoyo does not hold back when it ter- when it comes to criticizing Yusei Kikuchi, I have a but when it comes at the same to time, 
yeah. At I, the same time, it rightful. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna say my theory is that he's just not doing what the Blue Jays want him to do, which is yeah. stop throwing certain pitches, and he's kept throwing those pitches. And I think the Blue Jays are pretty pissed at him. I'm glad. Like, I'm not the only one that's picked up on that. But yeah, there's. It just feels like they're endlessly tired of it. And again, we know the contract they gave to him in the spring for three years. We we have no idea what's going to happen with that. We were even we were you were just talking about it. We don't know if it's a bullpen role. We don't know if he's just skipping a start till the All Star game. I wouldn't say luckily, but in Kevin Gosman's favor, you can pro and with obviously this option now on the table, you can likely because Sunday is you say Gucci scheduled start, and if you're going to be able to push Kevin Gosman back a couple days and have the opportunity to do that, they're obviously not not a without a doubt they're going to do that. And if Kevin Gosman's good to go on Sunday. Right away on paper, it gives you a better chance to win the game. It's pretty simple of how they're going to or why they're doing that. And then the other question comes now with Kikuchi gone, if, and perhaps it is until the All-Star break or after the All-Star break, who is going to be filling in that role? I mean, we talked about it last episode. We talked about all the options the Jays had. Over the next week, there's going to be more options opening up, like we were talking about it, because of you know having to be down in the minus for a certain period of time before coming back up. We know that guys like Max Castillo are going to be available to come up again, so they can get creative, most likely, uh, within the next couple of weeks until the All-Star break, of how they are going to fill that void. But of course, that off day definitely is crucial that you were talking about on that Monday, which is at the end of the Seattle series. So I'm sure they've already kind of planned it out of how it would look, but I mentioned it to you guys a couple weeks ago. I don't know how much longer Yusei Kikuchi had in this rotation. And the fact that he had that good start against the Rays definitely saved him a start. But now you're at the point where it's just it's a liability uh, in terms of deciding to throw him out there. So we don't know what's going to happen with him here. But the only thing that is for certain is that his spot in the rotation is no longer solidified. And I think, on, unfortunately, and you hate to see people fail because obviously you want Yusei Kikuchi to do well. You have given him countless opportunities and it's time to look elsewhere just because of the position that you're in as a team. So you're pro taking him out of the rotation right now? Absolutely, I am. Yeah, I'm in the same camp. I mean, I I just think it'll benefit him and as a byproduct benefit the team because obviously whatever's happening right now isn't working. So to take him out of the rotation before the break, give him time to reset, give Pete Walker time to figure out whatever the hell's going on with him. And that gives you also probably like four to five days after the break because they're going to rejig the rotation after the break, I assume. So that gives you a couple days, let's call it five days after the break. That's a good, what are we talking, two, three weeks? Two weeks, I guess, in between starts for Kikuchi. Two and a half weeks. Let's call it 17 days. <laughs> I'm not looking at the calendar right now. But that gives you a really good amount of time to work with him. To sit him down and get him to say, whatever's happening right now, whatever choices you're making are not working. Let's fix it once and for all and make you have a better second half than you did a first half. I don't think that's unreasonable for the Blue Jays to do based on his performance. I think the downside of that is that you're essentially going from a 26-man roster to a 25-man roster because unless you can make up some Phantom I Elston, he's going to be staying on the roster while he's missing time. So that's the downside to all this. I guess if you want to still utilize that spot, you can put Kikuchi into the bullpen, but then I think that kind of 
erases what you're trying to do and having a soft reset and work with him instead of having game action and him adjusting on the fly. So I don't know what the Blue Jays are going to do. I think they should take him out of the rotation, just eat that extra roster spot and have him come back better than ever for the second half because the Blue Jays need him in the second half. Um, As much as we talk about this team being in a better position than a lot of people think, the rotation is a very real weak point for them right now. The depth is not there. Pass Yusei Kikuchi, it's Thomas Hatch, Trent Thornton, Max Castillo, Casey Lawrence, and maybe, if you wish upon a star, Nate Pearson. Like in Once in a Blue Moon when he's healthy, Nate Pearson. Otherwise, there's no depth there. There's no real good six-starter option with Hinge and Ryu being out and Ross Stripling in the rotation full-time. So the Blue Jays need Yusei Kikuchi, and they also need to make a move. And that's kind of the point that we're at right now, that the Blue Jays need to step firmly into the trade market, with the caveat being they don't want to pay an arm and a leg for someone who isn't worth an arm and a leg, because right now, nothing's happening on the trade market. We've heard rumors here and there. We've heard the Blue Jays' potential fit for Jose Quintana, uh, potential fit for Andrew Benatendi. Um, I've heard people throw names at me. Scott Barlow is one guy on the, the Royals, another guy on the Royals, Amir Garrett. Um, things aren't moving right now, though. So the Blue Jays can't really force a deal when a team isn't willing to move someone because the market isn't fully developed. What's the line to draw between pushing for a deal now because you're losing games the longer you don't make a deal and trying not to part ways with the future of the franchise. It's always a tough one. And then that was, you know, it's always kind of a question every year, but it really all, it just feels like it all depends on when the market really shape or begins to shape and take form. And really still on July 6th, maybe it's the, the late trade deadline this year and August 2nd, we just haven't, as much as we heard a little things here and there and, Maybe over the last couple of weeks, it's starting to kind of pick up slowly. We still aren't at that point yet. You know, you can look at the roster now. You can circle things that they do need, of course. But in terms of individual players really being shopped, there's only a few guys that you can for sure notice and pretty much guarantee that they will be moved. And these are the same people that were almost moved throughout the winter. I'm talking guys like Frankie Montas, you know, Tyler Maley, like, you know, guys like that who are likely going to be moved. You know, you brought up Jose Quintana, obviously goes to the Pirates on a one-year deal. Kind of obvious at the time what he was doing with Pittsburgh, obviously to go there for a year, pitch well, hopefully, and find a team at the All-Star break. So, you know, outside of guys like that, where it's kind of, in, in a way, common sense that they will be moved, we still haven't really seen specific names other than that we've gotten a few in the past we talked about it in terms of Andrew Benatendi uh maybe the Royals bullpen we've we've spoken about and of course just just bullpen arms in general has been really the area of focus right now but you know it's it's tough because you want to make a move or you want to find ways to to win games but you don't want to be too early and rush it like you were talking about because that's obviously it's happened in sports before and especially in baseball when you know farm systems are important it can really come back to bite you so you have to be careful pretty much especially with that sport and you look at it we know the schedule what the stretch the schedule they've been on right now in terms of consistent days the starting pitching hasn't done any favors the bullpen's been struggling and at the same time they've been on fumes there's a lot going on in particular with the bull or just with the pitching in general and you were talking about it um basically 
up to this point right now, the numbers are there to back it up in terms of the pitching, even starting pitching and bullpen pitching just not being there. You talk about the team ERA, which is 21st in the league at, I think it's at 408. Home runs per nine are almost way over one. It's just even the runs allowed in particular, whatever it is, the the total number is, it's all at the bottom of the league in terms of the bottom 10. While the offense has been on the rise and really now probably near the top of the chart, which is really good, you have a huge difference in terms of where the offense sits, where the pitching sits. And it's clear, you know, it's very clear for anybody who to see the flaw on this team and really the area of priority that will be coming or what is need to needed to be made and which is the pitching, which is the bullpen. So, you don't want to go too fast. Again, the market is slowly, I think now it's starting to take form. And I think the other thing too is bullpen arms in particular this year are going to be, it's not just the Blue Jays that are struggling with their bull, the bullpen arms. You want to talk about a division rival and a team that's pretty much in the wild card race with the Jays right now. We know the Boston Red Sox are in a very similar situation in terms of them needing bullpen arms. So it's not like the Blue Jays here are the only team that is in desperate need of it. There's a competitive market this year for bullpen arms in particular. That it maybe is also a reason why teams are kind of being a little bit cautious or I should say passive aggressive because as much as they need arms... There's more than one team or there's a lot of teams this year that are needing the same thing. So that's why it's really tricky. And of course, bullpen arms are always kind of tricky to predict of who because you can find them anywhere. It just determines of putting together the correct bullpen as a team. So that's why it is important to be careful. And I think maybe up to this point, as much as the Jays are one of the first teams to make a move last year, they are taking their time this year and they're being a little bit more cautious. But at the same time, it does feel like we are getting closer and closer to when they eventually pull the trigger. I mean, we got to be, right? Like now we're, what, 27 days away from the trade deadline on August 2nd? Like it's creeping up. And I'm really surprised that we haven't seen much in the way of trades, not just from the Blue Jays, but really all around baseball. I know there's going to be a domino that falls that causes everything else to kind of fall in line, but I'm surprised we haven't seen that much. And even when we talk about, like rumors and the kind of hot stove of Jeff Passan and Bob Nightingale and John Heyman and all those guys. We haven't really seen much from them or maybe I'm not paying close enough attention. Maybe they've been chirping in on other teams, but the Blue Jays, it seems like it's just been John Morosi spitting out his normal stuff of one potential fit for the Blue Jays is Andrew Benatendi or one guy who could fit in with the Blue Jays' Jose Quintana. Like, that means nothing. He just wants to get on Toronto Sports Talk. But anyways, like, there, it seems like there's not much going on, and it's really surprised me because there should be a lot going on for the Blue Jays. I'm sure they're trying to push stuff behind the scenes, but you can only push so much without having to basically rid yourself of the entire future of your organization to make to get one middle-of-the-line reliever. Um when we talk about the approach to the deadline, I think what I would like to see the Blue Jays do is approach it similarly to what they did in 2020. And I say that because 2020 deadline, they added a lot of starters and long bullpen guys who worked out for them. So the guys I'm talking about, Taiwan Walker came over and he was phenomenal in his, I guess it was what, a month with the Blue Jays. Um, Ross Stripling came over and we're still seeing the impact he's having with the team. Um, and then of course the big guy from that trade deadline, Robbie Ray came over at the 2020 deadline. And we all saw 
what he turned into. Not so much in 2020, but certainly in 2021. So I think that's the type of approach the Blue Jays need to take because you're not looking for a Jose Barrios. You're not looking to make that deal for the front of the line guy because the Blue Jays already have that. If you're looking to pay a premium for a top of the line guy right now for the Blue Jays, you're doing it in the bullpen because that's where they need that big firearm, that big swing and miss guy. They don't need that in the rotation. As much as we talk about the rotation being a weak point, the rotation, they need depth and they need guys like Ross Stripling. They need guys like, I don't know, they don't really have any other solid back of the line starters, but Ross Stripling is the type of guy they need who can come in for the Blue Jays, provide that depth in the rotation, but also come out of the bullpen if they need it. So that's the approach I'd like to see the Blue Jays take at this trade deadline. What approach would you like them to take? Who do you kind of have your eyes on at this point? Yeah, I think I'm in a similar boat as you, just because of the needs that they do have. The bullpen, we know that that's uh, probably the first thing or one of the first things that they will address. And yeah, you're, I don't know, maybe... Uh, definitely more than one or maybe a couple arms at least in terms of the bullpen in particular. We know that that is always going to be an area of target. Of course, you were talking about it, you know, ro- some maybe somebody for the rotation. We were, you, sp- you spoke about the John Morosi report about Jose Quintana, and of course there's going to be probably other names out there. Well, we know that there's other big names out there that I mentioned earlier, but I don't know how interested they are for going after a guy like Frankie Montas or a Luis Castillo. I don't know. I I. We haven't heard anything to this point in terms of that. You were talking about it. The Jays have all of that right now in terms of Barrios, as much as he hasn't shown it, and you're hoping that he does in the second half. You brought over Kevin Gosman, and then, of course, you have Alec Manoa. So those are three guys right there, and it just doesn't feel like it is kind of a different thing from where they were last year when you really look back on it. It's actually caught me off guard a little bit when you were talking about that in terms of the approach kind of similar to the 2020 season. And, of course, the only thing, and I guess the other thing that lingers I don't know how much they view it as a, a necessity, but of course, maybe if they have time to get to it, they might in terms of, and that is obviously left-handed at-bat. We spoke about it as well with the same report from John Morosi with uh, the Andrew Penitenti rumor. There's going to be other guys. We've heard from Jeff Passan about somebody like Josh Bell early on in the season. So maybe that's something to keep an eye on too. It just feels like that's kind of drifted away in terms of since the starting pitching and just the bullpen have struggled really all the focus is definitely on that bullpen right now. So if you can get a couple guys, and it's obviously the swing and miss, if you can gel it together properly with this bullpen, it's going to be a much better difference maker in the second half because we know that the Jays have good bullpen arms. It's not that they don't. It's just that they are missing a certain type, a certain quality of a reliever. And that is pretty much no fault to guys like Adam Simber, who is a uh, shout-out today, to pretty much phenomenal in, in six batters today that he had in the Wednesday game, which was which held the door for uh, Jordan Romano. You guys, you have guys like David Phelps, and then, you know, it's just, it's not about what they have. It It is in a way, but more that they are looking for a particular guy is what I'm trying to say, because they have some names that have already been helpful throughout majority of the year, and if they can mesh them together properly, have the proper you know, leverage situations, certain situations that they come in, it's going to be, it's going to be fine. Um, you know, we, in terms of kind of, I wouldn't say, you know, you're not desperate in this, but if you're just taking chances on people, we talked about the Sergio Romo thing, but this is obviously via waivers and via, I guess, trades for cash. There's Anthony Bonda, of course. And then there was today, uh, claiming Matt Peacock off of waivers from the Royals who've, who's already spent 2022 with two teams. So, 
you're taking chances on low-risk guys as much as you might not be expecting them to be the difference maker for your bullpen. That's the depth that you were talking about, Mark, as much as they're still missing that. They're obviously chipping away at that through other ways right now in terms of other than major trades. You're going through the waiver wire and you're going through pretty much buying players. So you see it kind of taking form now. You pretty much assume that when they do eventually make a bigger trade or a more important trade, it's going to be for a higher quality arm. It's going to be for that impact arm. That's going to be a difference maker for this bullpen in the second half of the season. And then at the same time, maybe a starter. Uh, that's always kind of something that some people agree with, some people don't. I'm on the side that they do need one. That will also help the starting rotation because there's the Yusei Kikuchi question mark right now. There's obviously, you go back even before that when you lose Hunjin Ryu, as much as Ross Stripling has done a really good job in the rotation, you still have lost that depth. And of course, you know, if you want to look even further with that depth, you don't have a guy like Nate Pearson right now. Outside of, you know, the you look at the options for this Thursday in Seattle without Kevin Gosman. It's basically, you know, take away all the factors. You have Max Castillo, Casey Lawrence, Thomas Hatch. You need more depth, uh, especially, I think, at the back half of your starting rotation. So in a way, it's very similar to how you would approach it. And again, I don't know how much the left-handed at-bat is something that they are focused in on right now, but that's always something that you can obviously rule out. Okay, we've kind of been talking about it the whole episode, but why don't we wrap things up by just putting a number on it? Like, what's your grade for the first half of the season? I know you asked this on Instagram. I asked this on Instagram. I'm curious what your thoughts are on how the Blue Jays performed in the first half. A plus to F, what are you giving them? See, this one is also, because just it just really is an opinion one of how you view it. Obviously, the expectations for the team is also what kind of takes into form with me. Um, my grade is, is, as much as they are better than what they are on paper, it is a C plus. We talked about it. It has been, for the most part, just inconsistent between starting pitching, throat hitting, and this is a team that hasn't exactly gelled together that we were all expecting it to at the beginning of the year. Of course, there is much time to turn this around. They are nowhere out of it in terms of the rest of the season, which we had a long conversation about earlier on. So I think, in my opinion, a C plus, anywhere from a C plus, and for and I guess maybe a B minus for people who would say or some sort of B. I would accept that in my opinion. But if for me personally, it is a C plus. Okay, I'm a little bit more generous than you, or I guess quite a bit more generous than you. I give the Blue Jays a B plus for the first half of the season. I understand people who like you giving it a, a worse score because, like, yeah, you you pointed it all out there. The Blue Jays were inconsistent. The offense wasn't there for the first two months of the season. Now the pitching isn't there. You look at the position that the Blue Jays are in right now. It's tough to be overly optimistic about where they are, I guess, to put it that way. Because they aren't playing great right now. They aren't in a great position with the bullpen being taxed, the rotation falling apart, all those things considered. Taking all that into consideration in my grade, I also look at the upside. And we've talked about this. The toughness of schedule in the first half versus the second half. The, I guess, kind of just adjusting the expectations for this season. Like in hindsight, the Blue Jays were never going to compete with the Yankees. The Blue Jays were never going to be that team that actually puts up a fight against the team that is on pace for the best regular season record in baseball history. Like the Blue Jays were never going to do that. The Blue Jays were never going to win 117 games in a single season. They were a 96-win team. Or that's what we hoped at the start of the season. And 
to me, the Blue Jays are still in perfectly good position to win 96 games. The schedule gets easier. Reinforcements are coming. The offense has found its way. To me, this team is in a good position to do exactly what we expected of them. And just to use the most recent comparison, the 2021 Blue Jays, at the halfway point of last season, the Blue Jays were on pace to win 86 games, ended up winning 91 games. I believe that this year's team is better than last year's team. And if you add five games on to what they are projected to finish at at the end of the season, that has the 2022 Blue Jays winning 93 games. And I think you factor in a little bit more aggressiveness at the deadline. You factor in the easiness of schedule compared to last year when the Blue Jays had intense series against the Rays, the Red Sox, the Yankees towards the end of the season, although they were playing Baltimore a bunch as well. You factor in all these things, I think it's fair to say the Blue Jays are still on track to win 96 games. And that's right around what we predicted at the start of the season. So to me, you take all those factors together, you look at where this team is now, you look at where this team projects to be at the end of the season, it's pretty much in line. It's pretty average. So I give this team a B plus. Yes, maybe generous, but that's what I say. And we're just getting word now from Jacob. We asked what his score would be for the first half of the season. Um, He gives it a 65%, which I guess, depending on your grading scale, works out to, what, a D? I guess it depends on the grading scale. Yeah, I know some 65s can be like a a C, yeah. Okay. It's definitely lower than mine to help (laughs) make it even more clear for us. Let's call it a C-, minus. I guess. Okay. We'll, we'll call it in the middle. We'll see minus 65% from Jacob. And I strongly disagree with that. I think that's way too pessimistic <laughs> yeah. based on what I just said about how I am optimistic for the end of the season. And yeah, I, I guess there's only one way to find out and it's how the second half goes. But to me, Jacob is a little bit too pessimistic for my taste. Um, Okay, any final thoughts from you before we get to series predictions? Yeah, I, I guess just to add quickly to that, you were talking about that they're on pace for 88 wins. You know, they go on a nice streak before the All-Star break. You were talking about it. That win pace is going to be well over 90 games. So this is by no means over. There is so much room for them to grow in the second half of the season. And yeah, I just, yeah, C-minus just it is, I think that kind of, takes away from what they've already done this year because as much as we talk about the inconsistencies, you also factor in what you were talking about, which is the schedule and other factors, obviously. They've still managed to put up a 45-38 and 38 record and still well into a playoff spot at the moment. So I do think that there's lots of room to grow for or grow, and hopefully at the end of the year we're all talking about having at least an A of a score. So we're all hoping for that. Yeah, that reminds me of two more things that I want to say. The first thing is, Yeah, the Blue Jays win four more games in the first half. They are on pace for a 96-win season. And when you think of four out of 81, the amount of one-run games the Blue Jays have had, you flip a coin and the Blue Jays are on pace for 98 wins, 100 wins. So yeah, maybe that's an overly optimistic way of looking at things because yeah, maybe the Blue Jays deserve to lose a lot of those games. But to me, you flip a coin, it's baseball, there's a lot of chance anyways the butterfly effects, some of those games go the other way. The Blue Jays are in a better position. So that's the first thought. The second thought, I think, part of the reason why people are so pessimistic about the Blue Jays right now is because they are comparing them to the Yankees, and you see the 14-game back number, and it's a really scary number to look at. 
just to see the Blue Jays are 14 games back. The Yankees are at, what, 53 wins on the season, something like ridiculous like that. Uh, 58 wins, just looking at the final mark right now, 716 um, win percentage. I mean, it's intimidating to look at that, and by relation, the Blue Jays being so far down in the standings, it's depressing. It looks really bad for the Blue Jays. But I think what you have to remember is the Blue Jays are no longer competing against the Yankees. They're competing against the Rays and the Red Sox and lower down in the standings, Cleveland and Minnesota and now Seattle, who's taken a run at it. They are no longer competing against the Yankees. They are vying for a wildcard spot. You get into the playoffs and anything can happen, which seems like the best case scenario for the Blue Jays right now. They are not going to be fighting with the Yankees at the end of the season. So that's part of the reason why I think people are so depressed. Um, okay, four games in Seattle, another late series, three of the games starting just after 10 p.m., and then the final game of the series starting at 4 p.m. What are your predictions? How do you think the Blue Jays will fare in this series? For the first time since 2019, they will be at truly, truly at the Rogers Center West. So we know that last um, last year there were some fans, but of course the border situation was still was kind of a question mark at that point. So this year... We know that it is likely going to kind of go back to normal with that. It's going to be a very cool atmosphere. I always love the West Coast games as much as you probably disagree with that. Um, it's going to be tough. The Mariners, you were talking about, as much as they are a game below 500 still, they have really gone on a roll the past couple of weeks. I think they've. I think I saw a stat earlier that they've made up seven games on the Guardians within the last couple of weeks, and they still aren't even at 500 yet. So they're playing good baseball. They're 7-3 and three over the last 10. It's a four-game series. The Jays are still kind of getting out of a funk. I think I will probably call a split because of what you have going tomorrow in terms of Casey Lawrence. Who knows what it's going to happen with that. The Friday game, uh, you look at it, it's probably going to be Ross Stripling. Saturday would be Alec Manoa. And then Sunday, hopefully, fingers crossed, you have Kevin Gonsman back in there. And, of course, on the Saturday game, I believe that Robbie Ray is lined up to start that game. So that'll be interesting to see of how he does on Saturday. But in all, in all to put it as short as possible, I will call a split throughout the weekend. I'm excited to see Robbie Ray. That game is going to be a lot of fun. If only it wasn't going to finish at 1 a.m. Um, <laughs> I think I'll agree with you. I'll go a split. Part of me wants to say the Mariners are going to take three or four. But that feels too depressing, so I'm going to say a split. Um we're trying to get Jacob's thought on this series quickly before we wrap up. He's not responding to our text messages, so it seems like he's going to have to wait until, um, I guess, Sunday, if we record Sunday or Monday morning, to get his thoughts on the podcast. Regardless, thank you to everyone who tuned in to this episode. As always, you can support our podcast by following us on social media. That's at Section138Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can also rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcast, also on Spotify, just help spread the word about what we're doing here. And then, um, as always, we're going to be back here in a couple days' time talking about this series against Seattle. It's going to be exciting to watch the Jays fans trickle back in after a long hiatus with the border being closed. We're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to the Blue Jays hopefully getting back on track. All right, we'll catch you. Sweet, sweet, sweet.